0: Imagine if, if there was a zip code that people live in and idea in essentially in many cases work in kids go to school and they stay in their little neighborhood in very many cases. Uh, those people have a little burst in covid density. Now you tell them, OK, you're not allowed to go to the places in your own neighborhood anymore. We're shutting them all down. What are these people going to do, Corey?
1: They're traveling.
0: They're going right. to the next zip code. Yeah. So aren't we spreading in that sense? I don't want to share someone else's thoughts. I want to create my own original thoughts. I want to create my own original solutions. I want to look at situations and come up with my own phrasing, my own words, and do it my way. This is the John Taffer Podcast. Shut it down! I love the little shut it down at the end, Corey. That (laughs) little faint shut it down in the background. That actually came off the shut it down button, didn't it?
1: It did, yeah. Yeah.
0: I love those shut it down buttons. We should just like maybe give a few away. Why not? Yeah, we, we haven't can. talked about this before. So I'm sitting here I'm still in my bus everybody. I'm uh, now in week 5 actually. Now I've stayed in my bus I've owned this bus for 5 years and I've had I had another bus before this one for I think uh 4 years or so. So I've been I had these things for a long time. But I've never stayed in them five weeks in a row and sort of made it home like this. You know, I always like spend five days somewhere, drive off, spend five days somewhere, drive off. Right. And, and I have a place I put it in the winter. But even there, I never go for five weeks at a time. So this is the longest I've ever lived in my bus. And it's interesting when and I'm, I'm not I got TV, I got a bed, I got a refrigerator, I got to get everything I want. So I'm not complaining. But You know, it's interesting when, when uh, you're dealing with all of the sacrifices that we're dealing with during the last seven months over so COVID and everything. And here I am, I'm at this place, I'm parked in my bus. I really can't do much. I'm not going to go inside to too many businesses unless I really trust them these days. But uh, it's interesting how, how uh, um, now I not only have, have all these restrictions upon me, now I have these confines. I'm living in a space that's about 15 feet wide, right, with the slides out. And I guess about 35 feet long inside something like that Corey. you've been in here yeah it's nice and i'm living in here though i'm living in this tiny little space with my wife and my dogs and Mm -hmm. we're doing okay it's not so bad but i gotta tell you corey being here in georgia the past five weeks i have been atlanta a bunch of times i've as a consultant i've done projects in athens and 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 some other areas of georgia over the years but i've never been in uh georgia like this for five consecutive weeks and man i fell in love with it out here this is a great state. And something was really cool. Last week for the football game, Georgia played Auburn. And it was a fucking madhouse. I've never seen a city re- react to college at a sports, college football, like they do here. Oh, right. uh, unbelievable. The best fans I've ever seen. Uh, I got to tell you, these Georgia fans, they rival Golden Knights fans in Las Vegas. Corey. It's unbelievable. <laughs> but I've really fall, fell in, uh, fallen in love with Georgia and I'm in the Lake Lanier area here, and, and you know uh, the people who live here are just unbelievable, and I just have a love affair with Georgia these days. And It's amazing when you spend a long period of time like this in a different place, how much you learn about it, and uh, I've just fallen in love with Georgia. Really cool here. So, I got to tell you, it's an interesting time, and, and uh, uh, I want to share some information in a non-generic sense that I've gotten that, that I believe is extremely reliable and and uh, I've learned a bunch of things, and, and they're interesting things. And they're public things, but they're things that, that, that really haven't been talked about so much. Did you guys know that, that uh, the federal government, I guess, under, under the guidance or suggestion or, or approval of, of the president, uh, gave $1,900,000,000 to three pharmaceutical companies? Each one got a billion point, $1.9 billion dollars to guarantee 100 million doses to to American citizens first through the federal government. So they got 100 million doses from one company. Then they went and and wrote another check for a billion nine and got another 100 million from a second company. Then they wrote another check for a billion nine and got another 100 million from another company. Then they wrote a check to Nova, I forget the second half of their name, another pharmaceutical company, and they got a billion six for 100 million and then one other company got a billion something. Uh, So they have five different commitments at 100 million doses for each commitment. Fascinating. And and so the federal government has actually in this warp speed. And it's surprising to me that they don't talk about this stuff because I found this out through through medical community, that warp speed that that we are at a vaccine that is set for approval uh, uh, in November. Uh, all of the study looks fantastic. The numbers look great. It's actually a, a messenger RND vaccine, which is a very, very safe vaccine format with a very high effective rate. And it's all really good news on a vaccine front. And they'll be finished with the full testing and all the full trials, no corners, nothing caught uh, in November. Probably not by election, but in November. And then there's another one that clears just a few weeks after it. And I actually heard a panel of doctors who I have unbelievable immense respect for actually say, and I quote, we will all be safe by January. Wow. And exactly, Corey, it almost brought tears to my eyes when I heard those words. I also learned a couple of other things that were interesting. One of the vaccines, and I won't mention any companies because I don't want to get any facts wrong. One of the vaccines travels at 20 below zero. 20 below zero is a temperature that most hospitals can deal with 20 below zero because they have other drugs that they have to hold at that temperature Mm range, Corey. So pretty easy to distribute a vaccine at 20 below zero. They have the transportation to do it. The hospitals have the refrigeration to do it. Not an issue. One of the other vaccines from one of the other companies is a different construction, or actually three different types of vaccines. One is genetic, another is a protein, and, and, and they're different types of structures of the way they go at the vaccine. One of the other vaccines has to be stored at seventy below. That proposes challenges because seventy below is laboratory refrigeration, not traditional hospital refrigeration. So the government is working on all the transportation systems and the storing systems and everything to, to maintain the 70 below requirement with that vaccine. Um, the other things that I've learned about the vaccine is the safety of it because of the type, type of vaccine that it is and the type of trials that have been done. So, you know, as I sit here and I've been talking to us all about this since March, when I started One production shot, shut down March 13th. And I've been talking about the 50%. I think I talked about that before anyone. Corey, you were the one who did all the fact-checking on that stuff, right?
1: Yeah, you've been talking about this for a while.
0: And I was right pretty much on every one of them, yeah. wasn't I? Oh, yeah. So, so <laughs> can you imagine me, Corey, saying, no, John, you weren't on the podcast. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> so, actually. <laughs> but actually, I was. Yeah. So so, so uh, uh, um, when you think now that we really are, I mean, really are 90 days away from the end of this. And we've been through seven months, Corey, and you've been great with your mask. And, and you've really changed your lifestyle during this a lot, haven't you?
1: Yeah. And even in the the production that we do, you know, in-house.
0: And, yeah. Doing it in my house and keeping a distance. And, you know, Corey, we, we turn my home bar into a studio and Corey comes and he sets everything up and he sprays everything and he wears his mask and he keeps the distance. But even away from me in your private life and you're a young guy, I mean, yeah. you don't go to bars as much or restaurants. I mean, you've really changed your lifestyle, yeah, haven't yeah. you? So think about it. In two to three months, you're going to get a vaccine and you can say, holy shit, I go out there. I'm not scared of this thing Mm -hmm. anymore. And for young people who fear it or for older people who fear it, uh, uh, we really are coming out the other side of this thing. And I did a speech today, a a V-note, as we call them, uh, for the Food Service Equipment Convention. And I was talking about it, what I've been saying on Fox and MSNBC lately is that, that the first thing everybody's going to do after they get that vaccine is what, Corey? Go out to Go dinner, out right? out
1: to dinner, yep.
0: <laughs> yep. So we're looking at some really, really exciting times ahead. But right now we get nailed with another fucking bummer where the numbers are going up. And now New York, uh, Mayor de Blasio, who you know, I could say that I, I could call him a jackass. I could call him stupid. But he's not stupid, per se. I mean, anybody who can be elected mayor of a city the size of New York is not an idiot. I mean, you got to grant them that. Right. When people say that the president, either side, no matter what year you pick, is an idiot, nobody who's an idiot becomes president of the United States. It just doesn't work that way. When you meet a guy who made every dollar himself and he's a billionaire, he's not a freaking idiot. So we use that word pretty loosely. But in the case of de Blasio, I don't think he's an idiot. But I think that the man has some type of a disconnect with reality. If you ever want to do something that's surprisingly entertaining, particularly if you don't live in New York, uh, uh, do a little YouTube on de Blasio and listen to the things that this man says. They are unbelievable. And honestly, about a year ago, he said a couple of things to me that were so outrageous, not to me, to everybody. that was so outrageous that nothing he has ever said has ever meant anything to me ever again because he's so fucking out there. so And I'm not playing either side. This is the most unpopular mayor, I believe, in the history of New York. So <laughs> he, he's equally hated by everyone. But Mayor de Blasio comes up with a plan. He's identified a couple of zip codes where where the uh, virus is showing an increase, and he wants to shut down non-essential businesses in just those zip codes. Years ago, I was going to open a business, a bar in Tempe, Arizona, right by Arizona uh, 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 University, University of Arizona. And um, they had just implemented the new non-smoking laws. And what was interesting is the town, I don't know if it's a town or a city, I don't recall, of Tempe, Arizona, illegalized okay. smoking. But the next town over on both sides did not. So they stopped cigarette smoking by zip code. So let's say you smoked, Corey. Okay. And the bar in your town doesn't allow smoking anymore. But right around the corner in another zip code, there is smoking. Mm. What are you going to do? I'm going to go the right other around the corner. Of course. So they didn't stop it. They just moved it. And it didn't stop until they illegalized it in a large enough mass area to make a difference. So think about COVID for a moment. Imagine that there was a zip code that people live in, an idea, and essentially in many cases work in, kids go to school and they stay in their little neighborhood in very many cases. Uh, those people have a little burst in COVID density. Now you tell them, OK, you're not allowed to go to the places in your own neighborhood anymore. We're shutting them all down. What are these people going to do, Corey?
1: They're traveling.
0: They're right. going to the next zip code. Yeah. So aren't we spreading in that sense? Yeah, so, actually. yeah. So it, it makes absolutely no sense to me. Now, if you publicize that these zip codes are hot spots, so you publish to all the people of New York, it would be advantageous to you or safe if you stay out of these zip codes, right? So if you're going to go to a grocery store, maybe don't go to the grocery store in that zip code. Go to another, if you don't live there. But the, for the people who live there, sending them out of their zip code is about as asinine, emphasis on the first three letters of asinine, as one can possibly get. So, so I just, I think the man is a moron. Uh, And I say it and I put it out there and I really don't care what political affiliation he is. The things that he says, the choices that he makes, the negative impact that he has had on a wonderful city, my city that I grew up in, is astonishing to me. So as we enter this election season, I say to all of you, don't ever discount the power of local elections. And we all talk about the president, and the vice president, senators and Congress, and we're voting for this, and we love Schumer, and we hate Schumer, and we love this one, and we hate this one, and we blah, 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 whatever it might be. But the fact of the matter is, almost everything that has killed local business these past six, seven months has been instituted by local government, not federal government. Understand, it's the governors that implement these changes, the local politicians that created these changes. So when you go to the polls this year, don't just vote down party lines for local elections, because I know many people did. I'm guilty. I did it myself. Years ago, I would research the big elections, but I didn't research the little ones. But it was the little ones that impacted me the most. So this time, if you're going to go vote, you have an opportunity to either create a safer environment, a more business-friendly environment, but you can affect a lot of change in your community through your local election. Things that the president... Congress, Senate can't do. So that's one of the big lessons that I've gotten out of COVID, uh, Corey, is how much the choices of local government has impacted us. Look at Las Vegas. I like Governor Sisla. The choices that he made is what impacted you, Corey, not the federal government. Right. That's true. Yeah. So everything that has impacted all of us happened at a state or local level. So let's pay attention to those local elections this year because they can make a real difference in your quality of life, the the success of your businesses, the way your businesses reopen, the kind of support they're going to get from local building departments, right? Local approvals, local business licensing, all of those kinds of things are regulated by the locals. Now, when I go to build a restaurant or produce a show in Bar Rescue, one locality is easy and great to work with, and, and they're fast and they're easy. And because they're so great, Corey, I have more money left over to put into the bar for my budget. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I go to another city, they're so difficult with the paperwork and the approvals and the time period, they take money out of the project that I now I have less money to put into the bar for the, for the person. So local government really, really matters. And that's the big lesson that we should all take from COVID is how much local government has impacted us and how much in a moment like this, it isn't about the federal government so much as it is about local government. For example, local governments determine how many hospital room beds there are gonna be. Did you know that Corey? That's something that's established by the states huh. and they do studies and they do density reports. So states have the amount of hospital beds that the governor's office and the state legislature determined So they provided the tax credits and and all the various instruments to to cause those hospital beds to happen and operate they also determine what levels of ppe should be set up for each state and what inventories there should be in each state they determine other medical resources and funds and relief funds and disaster funds and all of this happens at a state level it doesn't happen at a federal level so Next time we get those storms and, and, and you know, you, trees aren't cleaned up from the street, it isn't a federal government. It's local. So we can really change local government because many, many people don't participate in local government at the level that they should. And this is an opportunity for us all to do it. But if you think about it, we've all been impacted far more by the local government these past seven months than we have the federal government. Well, Taffer's Tavern's coming along, buddy. We passed our health inspection.
1: It is. It is. I get all the pictures.
0: Good. Uh, yeah, you don't. You haven't seen it yet. but You get to see all the pictures. What do you think, Corey?
1: Oh, it looks beautiful. I love yeah.
0: it. Yeah, I'm real excited about it. You know, on bar rescue, I always talk. Always talk about layers of design, and a layer, you know, is wood. Another layer might be metal. Another layer might be stone. Another layer might be lighting or, or shadows or textures or different layers that you add to design. And I had a lot of fun doing Taffer's Tavern. It's a lot of fun. When you do it for yourself, buddy. It makes it the most fun of all. Yeah. But we're we're now, I guess, about two weeks from opening. And the kitchen of the future is under lock and key. I won't show this to anybody, it is so freaking <laughs> yeah. cool. All the, all the equipment, and you've seen some of the pictures, Corey. Yeah, you've bit. never seen a kitchen that looks like that before. No, it, it's really the kitchen of the future, so I'm really excited. So, I'm not showing it to anybody. We're gonna, I'm flying Corey out where our production team is gonna put together some content and then we're gonna uh, uh, uh blitz it out. We're doing a bunch of new shows. We have a media tour because it is the restaurant of the future, so the media tour. Uh, We have a bunch of the news networks that are coming in to tour to see the technologies in the kitchen of the future. And so I'm sure everybody will see it, and the pictures will be all over the place, and we'll post them online too when Taffer's Tavern opens. But you know, last week we talked hockey, and it was interesting to talk, you know, with a legend, you know, from one of the last sports dynasties of all time. Talking with Trots, Corey, it's amazing to win a championship seven times and have them gunning for you more and more each time. It's incredible. But when you think about it, He had the ability to pull himself together when he was losing. And there are a lot of games and things that we talked about. Some of them didn't make the podcast or the pre-gaming broadcast that we did for the NHL uh, uh, about how he pulled himself up when he was down. And imagine being down three nothing and then coming back and winning. How do we lift ourselves up when we're down? Think about the operators in New York for a second, all the business operators in New York, Corey. They now open up 25% inside. Not bad, right? At least it's a start, right? Okay, so now I can see people outside and inside. Within weeks, it's going to get cold, so I'm going to lose the outside seating. So I'm going to wind up with twenty-five percent inside. Now I find out that they're talking about closing certain zip codes, and an audit was just completed, and this was a government audit. This is not a, a political exercise that said roughly 50%, fifty percent, fifty-five zero percent of all independent New York restaurants are going to close by this, the end of this pandemic. Now, I find it interesting that, first of all, that they make a statement like that. I disagree with that because I think it's going to be 6% more every month. And that's the, the one thing, Corey, that I always find interesting that's not in that research is that number is as of when. Right. Because if it was 50% on October 1st, then it certainly can't be 50% on December 1st. It's got to be higher, <laughs> right? So with every month this goes on, those numbers have to increase. So I think we're at about 50%. I agree with that assessment, but I also think the number goes up about 6% every month. So there's thousands of restaurants in New York. And I'll remind everybody, the restaurant industry has a a million independent restaurants around the country. They're the largest non-government employer in the country with 17 million employees in the restaurant business. 70% of those restaurants are owned by people who own single units. These aren't corporations, 70% of restaurants are single unit owners. So these are small businesses in, in their complete essence, operated by people who live within the community it operates, hiring people who live within a community it operates, and serving people that live in a community it operates. This is not a company in Dallas doing a mail order catalog that goes out to the state of New York. This is completely local money, local owners, local employees, local customers. It is the epitome of a local small business. So we asked you guys online, what do you think? New York's going to lose 50% of its restaurants. The numbers are going up. How do you think this is impacting New York? How do you think this is going to impact where you live? And Corey, I think it's one of the biggest responses online we've ever gotten. We had over 100,000 responses or so across our platforms. We did, yeah. So this is a topic that you guys really jumped on. So I'm eager to talk to you all and see what you say. So I'm going to talk to Joseph from New York in a couple of minutes right after this.
1: Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. At Qualcomm, we believe in staying connected, and you can see us wherever 5G is helping transform telemedicine, supporting remote education, and powering mobile PCs. The Invention Age is here. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash invention age.
0: All right, so I wanted to hear what you guys think about this whole premise of 50% of the restaurants in New York are going to be lost. And I think in some places, Corey, that number even goes up much higher in, in smaller markets and smaller restaurants where they have less resources to go on. And I was really curious to hear what you guys think about the depth of this impact. Are you angry? Are you worried? Are you this? Are you an operator? Are you a customer? What do you feel this is gutting the essence of our communities? Locally owned, locally uh, staffed, and a local consumer-based businesses. So, first caller was Joseph in New York. And Joseph has been a bartender manager for over 20 years. Let's get him on the phone, Corey. Hello. Joseph, John Taffer here. Yeah. Hey, John. How you doing, man? Very good. Pleasure are to hear from you. Good. Thank you, buddy. Is, are you are you from New York? Did you grow up in New York?
1: grew up in new york uh brooklyn born and bred i currently reside in the 11223 zip code which That's is now currently codes. um yeah
0: wow so <clears throat> it's been interesting it's been interesting um well, i gotta just say for you know, a little look, disclosure here joseph my whole family's from brooklyn right so, so, mm-hmm. so i was actually born in manhattan but my father my everybody else is in brooklyn from my family so so uh I can probably picture the street that you're on, my friend. So I can't believe and I was just beating the hell out of the Blasio before I got you on the phone, just how stupid mm-hmm. it is. And when you think about the fact that that if you're in a hot zip code that has an increase in COVID. I could understand this concern. We might want to let people know in the city this is a hot zip code, so so, you know it isn't something that you want to uh, go to if you can avoid it. But to take the people that live there and shut their businesses down, Joe, aren't you just going to go to the next zip code and do business there?
1: That's exactly what would happen. And the foolishness extends beyond that. Doesn't that spread it then? Yeah. There's no rhyme or reason as to why he's shutting these uh, businesses down there is talk that he may backpedal on that and not shut some of the businesses, but just shut schools. And then the question arises, is shutting schools tied to the fact that the voting machines are in schools and that's where elections happen. Oh. You know, so it's, it's, it's pretty scary, you know, and the Blasio has obviously proven himself as a, as a very inept leader. Um, he decimated our industry, the bar restaurant club yep. industry, um, yep. has been flattened here, obviously.
0: And you know, what? look,
1: and it was My a great scene is,
0: growing in Brooklyn too, by the way.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Enormous. Enormous. Yep. Yep. Especially in in some of the areas that were kind of a non-residential for a long time, the industrial areas of Brooklyn have uh, kind of bloomed and, and yeah. now, you know, that bloom has been killed off. But, <clears throat> you know, one of the essential comforts as humans is, is found in, in, you know, in gathering in the company of others and, uh, obviously we're social creatures by nature, you know, getting drinks with friends, listening to live music, blowing off steam on the dance floor, you know, that now has been taken away from us, you know, and there are, um, so many people that, that feel that it was done arbitrarily, capriciously, um, by these inept politicians and that resurrecting it is going to be harder. I mean, in, in essence, the bar business is, is going to be a return to zero, you know, wow. um, I, I, I had the opportunity general you know, obviously
0: mm-hmm. good I, I had a call and and you know I'm quite vocal on some of the news uh uh channels and uh, I did have a phone call with with a congressional committee a couple of weeks ago, and they called me to ask what you know we thought the right stimulus package elements would be. And I really thought it was pretty terrific that a congressional committee was calling myself and other business leaders to really get specifics. And nobody's talked about inventory credits. We've talked about payroll credits. We've talked about rent credits. They've talked a little bit about utility Mm -hmm. credits. Uh, you know sort of like the ppp plan that we just had but they've never talked about inventory credits Mm -hmm. to start up an inventory they've never talked about time period the program that they had on the table which was was actually pelosi's program ended at the end of the year that isn't going to do shit (laughs) for us Mm -hmm. it's got to carry through to longer you know joe uh, i've learned through my my uh, work with hospitals i'm on a border one that that we will be out of this in january we will we will really? have vaccines, and we will be out of this. Now, the issue becomes who survives and who doesn't. I believe that right. the first thing that happens, Joe, after we get a vaccine is people going to go out to dinner, man. They're going to go out for a drink. They're going to go out yeah. again. So guys like yourself, yeah, who I are the heart words. and soul of our business, let me put this point in front of you. There's going to be vacancies all over the city that are completely built out. They're going to have bars. They're going to have kitchens in them, and they're going to go bankrupt, and they're going to close. Yeah. And in Brooklyn, there's yeah. going to be hundreds of them. Guys like you, who are the heart and soul of our industry, you should start putting together a little money. Because when this ends, you'll be able to cut a deal, go into one of those existing built-out operations, reface it for a few dollars, and put yourself mm-hmm. in a, into business as a result of this. So oh, I'm putting yeah. a different kind of really idea in your head, me. buddy. But there's landlord sure, sure. deals that, yeah. that can be made. There's places that are completely built out and have right down the silverware in them. So a guy like you who loves this business, when this ends in the next 60 to 90 days, you could be an owner out of this. Yeah, I'm saying saying there's a good ending for some people in this. And for the people who act now, I see a real opportunity for a guy like you to come out of this in in a better place than you went into it in a strange way. Not that there's any good in this at all, but there is some if you look hard enough. So I wanted to. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I. no,
1: no, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I think streamlining and having a damage plan is an important part of it. I do some new money entering the industry, um, people with good ideas and good value. Um, and I think th- there's a few things that have to change that some people haven't touched upon, including some of the insurance regulations, um, You know, incentives as far as um, the, the liquor authority implementing a sanitizing plan that's sound. Um, And not just all over the road, Um, you know, rent reductions and and lease negotiations and being able to uh, buy direct from the bars and restaurants without, uh, you know, continuing sidewalk service, meaning takeaway service and so forth. Yeah. I mean, you know, people should be cognizant of the fact that using third party vendors to get deliveries will hurt the bars and restaurants significantly because they sometimes charge up to 30 percent. It's on affordable. Um, Yep. Oh, of a fee. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe They're even the only person the making money. Clothes. Yeah, that's true. So I think those changes are all powerful. Things. Be a, an issue. Yeah. I mean, spirit company, I wrote an you know, op-ed uh,
0: in a Joe, I wrote an op-ed in fortune magazine a few weeks ago. I'm sure you guys can find it online about the whole delivery system and how that needs to be kept and how there can be safety cups. And I could say, you know what, Joe, you're allowed to do cocktails to go, but you got to put a safety seal on the cup. Right. So so I know that it isn't opened in transit. And that's a little special sticker that you put on it. There's ways to do this in a way that the industry can deliver, but yet it can be done in a responsible way. And our industry has proven responsibility for a long, long time. We don't get people sick as a matter of of consequence. We don't we are not irresponsible with alcohol. Sure, there's a few in any business who, who are who are dirtbags. You could say a percentage of veterinarians in a country are dirt bags, right, Joe? So every business has them. Yeah. Yeah. But we as an mm-hmm. industry are good at this. And we've got this if they give us the right to do it. So so I hear you, I, buddy. I and I and I'm feeling 100%. for you in New York. But but you know, uh, uh, what I'll, is I'll, the
1: right now I'm I, on the
0: Go ahead. What is I got to ask you this with a smile on my face? What is the popularity of, of 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 your mayor right now in New York? Do you know? Oh, it's horrible.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I've yet to find someone who's admitted that they even voted for him—not <laughs> once, but twice. You know, it's a point of shame. Um, it- he's 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 decimated a lot of you know uh, special interests here and obviously the city is not looking what it looked like you know a couple of years ago there's, there's a, uh, an extraordinarily large amount of graffiti and degradation and homelessness and problems and you know and COVID just added to all of that so I mean he's got a lot of soul-searching to do once this is over and done with because uh, I've not seen destruction of this industry I mean, outside of prohibition, what can you what can you name that that decimated us into this capacity?
0: Nothing. There's nothing that's ever happened like right. this in our in our history for sure. And it's isolated certain industries. You know, the movie theater industry is right there with us, Joe. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. they're taking the, the same hits that we are, and you know, we have a chance of coming back before they do. You know, in some states, they're treating bars and restaurants differently. If you're a bar that serves food, you can't open. But you're, if you're a restaurant right. that serves liquor, you can. I mean, it just, it's just complete freaking insanity. It just seems so, so arbitrary, yeah. And then the restaurants become bars at night, <laughs> and the bars can't open. So it's it's it, it, right. there's a lot of injustice in this thing, and unfortunately there was a lot and of the re- And the
1: regulation, you know, it's, it's very, very hard to regulate any of this because the rules are being made on the fly. Yeah, so it, it almost becomes change. more dangerous to a certain extent. Yes.
0: And they yeah. change along I mean, the way, of course. And, and you know, what other thing I learned is, is how little we knew about this freaking thing when it started, that they thought this, then they thought that, then they thought this, then they thought that. So not, even when they were honest with us, the rules kept changing because the science and the knowledge kept changing. You know, Joe, one right. New Yorker to another, buddy. I could probably talk to you for hours. You know, turn this into something good for you. Figure out mm-hmm. a way to make this work for you, buddy. You know, look for some locations well, as of, that maybe you as can get. This, you know?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well, you know, uh, regardless of what they try to scare us with as far as the virus is concerned. I mean, my wife is an RN. She's been on the front line, she's been exposed several times, you know, and uh, she's gotten through it. You know, the, the, the virus is most certainly real and people have died, and we can't be afraid. To continue on and move forward, and and that's what they're kind of suppressing in us is our uh, entrepreneurial spirit and the spirit to move forward on this. I mean, as of March, uh, March eighteenth, I was forced to close the bartending school that we own and run, and we were shut down for close to, you know, four months, and we finally resurrected it, and we were very pleasantly surprised to hear the phone ringing with people saying, "What." I want to be a bartender. You know, I'm interested in bartending. Even though the, the industry is suffering right now a little bit, we know that it's going to come back. And that really helped to, to push me over the edge to work harder and get this running again and moving again.
0: So, You know, I used to own three bartending schools. Effect. Joe, I used to own three bartending schools. That's my When amazing. I was in my, in I was the, in my 20s. California? I owned, no, when I was in my 20s, I owned Bartenders Academy that was based in Washington, D.C., and we had three okay. schools it was a 40 hour program we had a wet bar in in the school we had all colored yep. fluids right with all paint yeah, and sure. soap to make bubbles and everything was yeah, it was a complete course. functioning yep. bar with a soda gun and ice machines and but no spirits all you, colored you know models and you know yeah. 40 hour program we could do it daily weekly overnight you know, in one week we had the government loan programs and and, and everything in place and, and we would you know, run our TV commercials. I even remember my commercial, Joe. Are you tired of bored with your current job, but you want an employer to just need to make extra money. Did you know that in 40 short hours I could teach you to be a bartender? <laughs> so- and I remember I doing either. the commercials. Yeah. The first thing I ever did on television, I made a lot of money in the bartending school business. It's a great way for people to enter the industry. It really, really is. And, and there's some shitty schools out there, of course, Joe. But I support the good ones. I'm guessing you are one of the good ones, buddy. But I support the the, the good schools out there that really provide people with a way to enter the industry with some knowledge. So so yeah, I we've hope been your school comes to, back. Uh,
1: no, I appreciate it. We've been around a long time, opened in 1969. Original owner was wow. Jack Piano. I don't know if you if that
0: rings bell, but I believe it that Jack you guys Tiano? did. The did you know Glenn Rodano? Yeah. Sure. Well, I yeah. knew Jack Tiano Glenn quite was well. was
1: Jack's partner.
0: Of yeah, course yeah, he yeah. was. I my first yeah, impression from school. Jack. I'm going to tell people something that I've never I've never told this story before. When I was young, I got a job teaching at American Bartender School at 369 Lexington Avenue in Manhattan. And I got a job teaching in that school, <clears throat> which was owned by Jack Tiano, run by Glenn Rodano. Correct. And thats yep. uh, I worked for them. And I was a salesperson, a teacher, and then a school director. And then I opened yep. schools in Detroit and around the country for Jack. For me, this is when I was in my young 20s, Joe. And, and yeah. so I was a young yeah. kid and I, and I had the sales team and we had the closing offices of course, in the whole nine years. I'm sure you're running it the same. And we had our books yeah. and broken into the cream drinks and Jack train. There was no video in those days. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, uh, then after I left Jack in American bartender school, I went to Washington, which is a city he wasn't in and opened up bartenders Academy. Right. So that's funny, buddy. We, we, uh, have worked for the same people over the years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, took over the school uh, you know some years ago and jack retired and we are american bartender school you know it's barschool.com we train close to a thousand bartenders a year you know normally um mm-hmm. i don't know what impact that's going to have on the you know the several months that we were closed but uh you yeah, know we're looking forward to you know providing the education and giving them the knowledge a lot of people have certain um you know, uh, things to say about bartending school in the sense that, well, it's not really quality education. You're just learning basic drinks. But I try to instill in these young bartenders um, the things that make money for the owners and managers that hire them. You know, how to upsell, how to expedite, how to pour accurately, reconciling money accurately, doing the things that, that you, you know, push on your show and, uh, and you help owners and managers understand. So that's
0: the goal. And the model but is very also much a comfort you develop behind the bar, Joe, holding yeah. a bottle, making a drink, using the equipment, understanding the processes. Sure, you go to work from a bartending school, the recipes might change, the job might be a little more, but, but you know what it feels like to be behind a bar, how to hold the bottle, how to mix something, how to shake something. You got the motions down, the mechanics down, right? You know all the basics. Yeah. And have, so I'm a big proponent of what you do, buddy. I, you know, I'm really supportive of it. So, so I'm glad you got to throw your website out to give yourself a little plug. But you know, for anybody who's thinking of joining a bar business, it's a great way to start. And people call me all the time and say, John, I got money. I want to open a bar. What should I do? Well, the first thing you should do mm-hmm. is be a bartender so that you know how to hell <laughs> the heart of the business works and then open a right. the bar. Right. So, you know, do it sure. at school. Go to bartending school, get a bartending job, learn the business, and then open your bar. Anyway, Joe, lots of luck to you, buddy. Yeah. It was great to talk. I appreciate the conversation, John. Thank you. Take care, buddy. You know, I really relate to a guy like Joseph, you know, in bartending school and in, in the business as well. But you know what's interesting is you know when you hear 50% of the businesses are gonna, uh, restaurants are going to close in New York and you hear there are 25% occupancy, New York has some of the highest restaurant rents in the country. Now, I have a lot of friends that own restaurants in New York, and in almost every case, they're trying to get out of New York City. They'll come to Vegas in a heartbeat. They'll go to Florida in a heartbeat. I have one who's, who's moving his restaurant from Manhattan to Charlotte. Because the only person who makes money is the landlord. So, normal restaurants will pay about 10% of their revenue on rent. In New York, it's 20, 30%. So, you're struggling to make a living in the first place. At 25% occupancy, Corey, you can't pay the rent in New York. End of story. That's the deal. None of them can be successful at 25%. So, this is a ticking time bomb, and we're going to lose more and more every week. And it's interesting, Corey, I got an email from Eric Z in Los Angeles who wrote, how about a federally subsidized low-interest loan program serving, quote, collectives of furloughed hospitality employees to both develop their own group wealth strategies and opportunities while simultaneously establishing community growth? Not in New York, but across the state. So what he's suggesting is that the federal government put a low-interest loan program in place which, by the way, exists, and they're, they're uh, small business loans, right, so so uh, uh, this SBA loans, so those exist already, but he's saying that there would be collective of furloughed hospitality employees to open up their own programs. I have a real issue with the whole premise of, quote, collectives. Corey, do you want to be partners with strangers you've never met before? No, I'm good. You hear what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. You want a blue napkin. They want a pink napkin. They want this. You want that. How do you manage it? How do you do it? You're starting to break into this realm of group socialistic approaches to things. Now, the government shouldn't be subsidizing collectives of people. They should be subsidizing businesses that make sense. I'm all for that. So, Eric, I think, you know, a low interest loan program that now focuses on a restaurant or hospitality industry that says, give us a business plan. Show us that you know how to do this and we'll give you a special low interest loan or no interest loan to help you get your business started. That makes sense to me. Does that make sense to you, Corey? Yeah, it does. Now, what if we changed it and said, don't bring me a business plan? I don't need to know you know how to do this. Just as long as you have a collective of people, I'll Mm -hmm. give you the money. You think that's going to work? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. you see, we have to give the money where it has a chance of success. So, so I'm all for the premise of, of of federal programs to support the restart of the restaurant industry. I'm there. I'm just uh, I'm struggling with the whole premise of collectives on that one. But, you know, it, uh, a Seamus in the Bronx said, I'm not sure it's the beginning of another shutdown, but the staggered reopening has been a disaster since day one. Bars have a small chance of surviving Manhattan unless you're incredibly vigilant and creative. He's right. And. and Right now, all of these bars have lost their loyal customers. Everything has changed. We're back to square one. But I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, Corey. In the next 60 days, we are going to have a vaccine. People are going to take that vaccine. Once they realize it's safe, more people are going to take it, Corey. And you know how you read, oh, a third of America is not going to take the vaccine? Well, once the other two-thirds of the country take the vaccine and they realize that there's no side effects, you think they'll take it or you think they'll stay home? I think they'll, they'll take, take it. the freaking yeah. vaccine. of course <laughs> they will. They're not idiots. Right. People aren't stupid. So they're being cautious at this moment. They wouldn't take it. Well, at this moment, I'm not sure I would take it either without knowing what the hell it is. So, you know, it's going to change. There's going to be vacant restaurants, vacancies all across America when this ends. There's going to be people eager to lend money. There's going to be capital groups that are looking to reinvest in these new businesses. Yep. Retail, as we know, it's not going to come back in a mall sense because of Amazon and all the online buying, but experience-based businesses, what I call location-based entertainment, LBEs, which are bowling centers, movie theaters, children's entertainment facilities, game rooms, concert venues, restaurants, bars, location-based entertainment is going to come back because it's driven by experience. And I completely believe that. And I completely believe that the restaurant industry will almost completely normalize by next summer. And I've been pretty right on the forecasts I've made now. So when people say this is decimated and it's never going to come back, you know, after the riots in Detroit, it took that city 10, 15 years to come back from riots and all of that. But it did. New York and all of these markets, we're talking about landlords getting new tenants who want to open these business with enthusiasm. Those people will step up. And they will open these businesses with enthusiasm and i think the restaurant industry is going to come back that's my belief so you know we had our count up in this pandemic now we're in a countdown and you know Corey, let's say that october 1 is 90 days so we're down now to what uh, uh, 84 days and i think we're sort of in a countdown mode of when we start to see this vaccine coming out. And that's how I'm looking at it. So I can't wait to talk to those landlords and to do those deals. What about you? What about businesses that you want to get into? You know, when I was talking to Joe, he's going to try to figure out how to make this an opportunity. Well, I'm going to try to figure out how to make this an opportunity for me. If I do, I get to hire people, create jobs, create income, create an experience, bring a business back to a community. These are all... the great reasons to do it and make a shitload of money so what are you gonna do to make this good for you what are you gonna do to dig out of this so work on a plan work on your plan can you raise a few dollars and take over a restaurant that has closed because the last owner ran out of resources but it was a good restaurant if it wasn't for the pandemic it would still be open it's got a bar it's got all the equipment the refrigeration the ice machines Some of them have the plates and the silverware. Go cut a deal with the landlord. Be ready to seize your future because this thing is coming close to an end. And I'll talk to you guys next week. See you then.
1: Subscribe to the John Tapper podcast right now for more episodes every Thursday.